Mitchell Tanner. We're so pleased to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining. Thanks for having us. Please, please tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. So I am a composer for film and mainly commercials these days. I'm based in London and yeah, I'm kind of, yeah, I've started, I was wanted to be a film composer, um, but I've ended up doing commercials because I'm based in London. It works out quite nice for me. Um, London is quite a centre for advertising and music production in that sense. Yeah, I, um, yeah. Growing up, is that something that you wanted to do since you were very young? Yes. So from when I was at school, really young, I always wanted to be a composer for film. I think it was Transformers, the film Transformers, which uh, one of those films, it was something like that. I think there was the Chronicles of Narnia, all those kinds of films and Pixar. And ever since I heard that the music from those films, uh, I wanted to write it. I wanted to, every time I hear, heard a film score, I thought, I wish I could, I wish I'd written that type of thing. Um, and wanted to do it. But yeah, I've always wanted to be a film composer. And obviously, I, no one in my family is musical or any, anyone comes from that sort of industry. Most of my family work in the construction industry. Same, um, same so, here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird. And then, so I didn't know. So yeah, so it was kind of seemed a bit unlikely that it was going to happen type thing. And just through a series of strange events and, and luck, I just happened to step every foot in the right direction and end up doing it for, for, for work. That's amazing. I yeah, I kind of, yeah, yeah. basically it was through college that I ended up, when I, because I wanted to go to Royal College when I was a kid. I was, I was always into classical music. And then I wanted to go to Royal College as a kid. My dad took me to like the, the junior department. And then um, I never got in. And then I kept trying, kept practicing, you know, and then eventually I got into the Royal College for Masters. And then that's when it all sort of, then that's when I started realizing I could actually do it. So then I sort of like dedicated my time to it. Nice. And were you playing music from a young age? Yeah, so I've always played the piano. I played the piano from the age of six. Yeah, at school, I was always doing assemblies, playing playing the music, and I was writing songs and things like that. I've always wanted to... Yeah, I was writing music really early as well, actually. When I was at six, I've got I've got some um, like some little scrawly music from when I was a kid. I think it was called A Candle. It was the first track I wrote. But yeah, uh, first nice. song that I just wrote on the piano. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's, it's a weird one. I've always wanted to do it, and I, I'm, yeah, I'm the only one in my family that wanted to do it. It's, it's, it's strange. That is interesting. I think it was the same for me as far as getting into filmmaking. I didn't, I didn't come from an artistic sort of family in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird how that happens, isn't it? It's, it's weird how you can because then no one's there to guide you in a way from your family. You're sort of out to pasture. Do you know what I mean? You don't know. Right. The... Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly true. I, I didn't I, even go to school for film in college. I ended up going to school for business because filmmaking just seemed like a, a complete pipe dream. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you, so you just went to film. How did you get to do it then? How did you? I I went to school for business. Similarly, like yourself, I have family that kind of construction sort of was involved in blue collar type of work and, you know, that sort of thing. And I ended up starting a welding ironwork business when I was 22 years oh, old. That is quite, that's quite interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's quite different. Yeah, it was. And I was starting to do fairly well with it. And then I just kind of had the thought of, well, then what, you know, what's next? <laughs> and then yeah, I yeah, was yeah. like, oh, well, then that's it. <laughs> that <laughs> peaked too soon. Was that what it was? You yeah. Too soon. You said, I was like, yeah, there's yeah, nothing, then, you know, if you don't no sort of take action in your life, then it's just going to, you know, you're just going to be on the course that you're on already, you know, so yeah, nothing's yeah. going to change. So I kind of pumped the brakes and I'm like, well, what would I do if 
money wasn't in the equation, but it was just something that I liked to do. I was like, well, definitely be involved in film. I did work as a video editor when I was in high school for a very small company. And at that time, it was like the late 90s. So it was linear decks that I was learning editing on. Yeah, yeah. Like for events, doing weddings and bar mitzvahs and things like that. And I always liked it. I always liked films. And even when I was a kid, I was like filming stuff with like my Hi8 camera and kind of I used to actually make soundtracks like, you know, like I would actually make mixtapes and stuff like by like figuring out how to wire the TV to the stereo. So I would listen to movie soundtracks as well or or whatever, you know, that I could record from the TV yeah, or yeah. cassette tapes. So I was always sort of into that kind of stuff anyway. Yeah, it's a good way to think about it, take money out of the equation. If you took, take money out of the equation, what would you do, you know? And I, I think that with film as well and, and, and media entertainment in general, it's like the opposite. For example, like sports. If you, you know, at school, everyone wanted to be a footballer, right? It's, it's always the thing. You want to be a footballer or, a, fil or, or right. a film star, right? But the football ones, if you think about like sports, you've only got so many years. You've got you've got a sell-by date. That's right. Yeah. Because I mean, if you get to the age of, I mean, by the age of 35, that's it. You can't really. There's no way. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So yeah, with, you're right. With, with media, you, you've got, you only get better as time goes on. Do you know what I mean? So there's that's always true. something to look forward to. Do you know, there's, there's, it's not got a sell-by date. No, I like how you say it. that's a that's a really good way to think about it. I agree. Mm. So you went to school by the time you went to college, you kind of knew that you were establishing yourself to get into composing. What was what was next after that? Well, when I was at college, I, I well, I got into Royal College and then um the first time I sort of realized I could do it was when um so basically I got a scholarship at the Royal College, full scholarship for masters. I got a letter from I got a letter from George Martin, the producer of the Beatles. Oh, okay. Nice. And uh, yeah, incredible. yeah, he was like uh, he, yeah, it was really cool. And he was like, I really think your music's brilliant or type, type thing. So it kind of gave me a bit of in, inspiration, kind of kind of get, give it motivation, if you know what I mean, to sort of go with it. So after that, I, I had a year of where I, nothing was happening, you know, because I, I worked with a lot of uh, directors at college, like doing lots of short films and things like that. And then after that, so there was kind of a year where not much happened come out of college. To be honest, I probably could have used my college time at college a bit better. But, you know, when you're at college, you just kind of like trust you muck me. around and you spend time just doing stuff that you should probably shouldn't be doing type thing. You know what I mean? I do. So, um, so yeah, so I probably could have spent time a bit better. And that, but obviously, I met a lot of people at college. I got a lot of mentors. So my scholarship was the John Barry scholarship. Obviously, John Barry is the composer of James Bond films and Born Free and all these kind of these films um, oh yeah he's fantastic yeah yeah so his family or he's, he's yeah his scholarship in his name his, his wife laurie barry um kind of sponsored me and that come along with like mentorship and stuff so david arnold as well the composer did like independence day or did the other james bond films as well independence day and just on good omens um so those people as well helped me and kind of linked me to people and then i started working for so and then i started putting out started trying to meet music supervisors I thought, what is my strategy here? And I thought, what's the strengths? And I'm in London. So, you know, I thought, you know, I'll try these production houses, the production houses in London. So they basically are a company full of, uh, with set composers in-house and they also use freelance composers, but music supervisors are the ones that run them. And they have a, a list of clients. So for example, like Droga5 or something, a company like that, which is an advertising agency or like Saatchi and Saatchi, they would go to these companies and, and then they would dish out pitches to composers and they pay for the pitch, which is quite rare in the industry as well. So in 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 advertising in London anyway, they pay for the pitch. Yeah, ended up getting to know a few of the, the managing directors of these companies. And then um, from there, they sort of dish out pitches and then, yeah, ended up doing, ended up pitching for commercials and then getting some commercials. And then after that, in 2018, I went, I did the ASCAP workshop as well, which then I, I met lots of people there. Um, and then which led to obviously the feature film, which I did this year uh, that led to that. 
so yeah it's just a mismatch of people who, who i know i still sort of feel like i'm in a very early on in my career i still feel sort of feel like i'm a bit i'm still very early on you know well, yeah i still you... feel like i'm still i've still got not my feet firmly i'm still sort of like on balancing if you know what i mean i don't know um, how old you are but you're very young looking so i'm sure you have a, a long career ahead of you i'm 29 29 but all right you know yeah you look even younger you look like you're 22 but i'm sure oh thanks f you smoothie thanks <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, 29 is a good age to sort of get going with things. I didn't even yeah, make yeah, my yeah. first short yeah. film until I was 27. I was thinking about that yesterday because there was a kid that on some other podcast that was 21 years old that made a feature film. I'm like, wow, that's mm, incredible. Yeah. 21 years old to make a feature film. I didn't even make my first short until I was 27. And this is a thing, you see. So so I think the older you get, well, the older I get anyway, the more I sort of think about age and, and think about where I was other people in, in – not at the stage of career where I am right now, you know, and obviously it's not, it's not a race and I don't, you know, I don't compare, you're just not comparing yourself point for point, but you sort of think, Oh God, when they did that, they were 21 or 22. You know what I mean? Like you, when you they were 29, they've already got, you know, so many films under their belt. I know. I think that of, way you too. Of, you sort of judge yourself. It's, it's a strange thing. You never did that before, but then as you get older, you sort of start doing it and you think, Oh God, I'm running out of time. <laughs> it's a strange, but yeah, but you're not though. That's the thing. Cause what I said earlier, you know, you've got, there's no time limit on, on in the media industry. As the older you get, the better you get. So there's no, so there's no reason to think like that. But for I, some reason, there's a little niggle in your head. Mitchell, I feel like you're narrating my inner thoughts <laughs> of how I think <laughs> about these things as well. So yes. <laughs> I absolutely think <laughs> about these things that way as well. I'm like, what am I, what am I worrying about it anyway? And plus, like you yeah, said, yeah. hopefully you do get better. And I was thinking about that the other day because what does it take to get better? I personally think that you have to be a little bit humble to get better because if you think you're great, you think you're the man, then maybe there's no room to grow. But if you kind of are able to look at your own work with a critical eye and you're like, you know what, that could be better. And maybe that wasn't as great as it could have been. And, and you're always pushing to get better. I, I do think that ties into the equation. I mean, that's a whole yeah, other I, sort of topic of like, you know, what, what is talent and then yeah, yeah. how do you and cultivate it? Is, it? It's, it's just, it's, it's standing out, isn't it as well? It's sort of standing out. That's the difficult part. I mean, what can you do to make your work different to everybody else's? That's, that's the difficult thing. And everyone says to you, you know, oh, you've got to do something different. You know, it's like, well, it's easy to say, right. You know, totally. You know, it's like, it's, it's easy. You know, it's easy for you to see the wheel, but you know, the person invented it. I don't maybe not the wheel, but you know what I mean? It's, it's no, obvious. I know, I know you're it's saying. obvious yeah. now, but 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 when you're saying it, you know, it's not it's not as easy. Pretty much every I mean, you could probably now that every style of music, I mean, where where do you go? I mean, there's so many styles of music in every single there's so many instruments that are used now. It's almost you sort of feel like everything's been used. Everything's been you know I mean? it obviously hasn't. It's just we don't know what there is yet. There's right. That's something true. There that hasn't yet been discovered just yet. I used to think and about I've, that when I was a kid. I'm like, isn't there just a, a finite amount of songs that could be written? Or is it instant? Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly it. I mean, you know, you've got to be the one to find that the one that's just over the infinite, you know, the one that's just slightly different it's it's, so, it's it's very difficult i mean like look at it like any morricone when you look at any morricone yeah he's incredible sort of th i mean when you think of like you know that now every western is now got every western soon you hear a whistle and a, and right. a guitar and he you know he got western. started i think fairly young himself working with sergio leone yeah, I yeah, think yeah they went to school together i'm not i'm not 100 sure but i think they might have yeah but i mean to think that, that now that's a standard motif a standard thing to, to signify westerns but you know back at the, when he, right it, it wasn't it yeah was at some point it wasn't totally new he created that sound you know and well, it's obvious to us now but you know t t he did that and from, from from nothing 
and that's what obviously put him it's it's easy to listen to a great song or watch a great film it's easy to you know enjoy it as an audience but to make it it's a whole different story (laughs) yeah of course yeah and it seems and it seems natural or obvious when you're watching it it doesn't seem difficult like it was yeah it just seems so natural right but i think that's the i think that's the difficult thing and to make it seem natural but also unique and yeah it's a strange one i i mentor film students and i had at least one student that it's like oh so and so they just you know they just crap out great movies and i'm like it looks like that from your perspective but you don't know what they're going through what their process yeah. is to make these things you know and i heard even the writer vince gilligan who's the creator of the show breaking bad and he, you know he's a brilliant writer and he was saying that on a podcast he, he said that he's like people just think it comes so easy to me to write he's like they don't see like the blood sweat and tears they don't see me just staring at like the blank page and you know what i have to go through to put these things cool together <laughs> i don't know if it's i mean if it was easy everyone would do it wouldn't they everyone would do that's it. Everyone true would do it. yeah do you f- do you feel like that with music like is is the process how is sort of your process of writing songs like is it just you sort of tinkering with things like is it sometimes you have like a really i'm sure a lot of times you have a specific objective where you know somebody's playing you like hey do something like this do something that's you know yeah um see this is the thing about like commercials versus film because commercials being different is not good you know they they want you to be they want they want what audience they want what audiences expect right they don't want something different because because you're you're selling a brand I don't want you to feel uncomfortable with that brand, but you need to be different within a certain, what's the word, like within certain parameters. So you can be different, but so not so jarring for the audience. Whereas with film, he has to be, you, you, you want something more different to stand out. So it's a completely different set of scenarios. But yeah, to be honest, I, I it depends on the project really. If it's more tune based, and I, and I do love a tune, then I will sort of, I will try and write a tune first. I'll try and write the tune first on it and I'll think about it for ages. And if it's more um, uh, something that's more of a sound world, then obviously it's more playing with sounds, trying to come up with a unique sound. And that's, that's just a totally different skill set, but just as difficult. I mean, like, you know, um, the dark Knight, for example, you know, that sound of the Joker. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that was the, the defining sound of the dark Knight, Right. And that's what, that's what Hans Zimmer does. He tries to find that sound that's, that's unique to that film. Um, but yeah. obviously it's, there's not much of a tune there. It's completely different. It's a completely different sound world to say, um, I don't know. I don't know. Harry Potter, Harry Potter. It's a tune. Da, 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 da. Brilliant tune. Don't get me wrong. Like, do you know what I mean? But it's a different, completely different skill set. So yeah, my process, I, I sort of like sit and try and think about the balance between the two, how, how to come up with something unique. What, what's going to be the main, main nugget or the main motif. Yeah, and then then after that, it's actually much easier because then you're just expanding on what you've already done. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's 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 a very it's yeah as you said like it's not easy to do. It's not it sounds easy when you when you listen to it. I mean, my uh, feature film, it's because it's a thriller. It's more soundy based. It's more like drones, and I sort of tried to so I sort of like layered up voices to create a choir, and then completely mangled it to try and make a different like a light motif, like a signal to one of the characters. And then, then after that, then expanded from there. But yeah, it was it's it's it's, it's it varies. It really varies from project to project. It's a very strange. It's, it's just no, that makes sense. It's sure. very nebulous. It just it just changes. It depends on the situation. Yeah, sometimes it can pop into your head. Sometimes you spend ages like, sort of like fiddling around, swapping things, turning things over. You know, um, putting sounds backward, putting sounds forward, flipping them up. Yes, it's anything. You know. And and do you ever have kind of 
I'm sure you're writing songs all the time. Do you ever have kind of like a library of your own stuff that makes might be like a good fit for some future project? Like it just happens to be, or, or are you always creating from scratch every time? Sometimes there is, I've got, I've got a library of stuff. Yeah. But most of the time I sort of sort of start new. Um, I sort of like it to be sort of, I spoke to that project, but that makes sense. Yeah. Also a lot of the stuff, a lot of the pitches or, or things from I've done um, production companies keep or like um, it goes to the production library of that company. So they have a library of tracks that they've got as well and it will go to them. So a lot of the stuff I've actually done and pitched, I don't actually own anymore. So I wouldn't be able to do that. Um, oh, some of right, the stuff I do. Right, right. Yeah. Because it's yeah, been so used for some other project you're saying. Yeah. Cause it's, or because it's been, cause it's owned by another company that might use that track again. So they have like, you know, every pitch I've done, I mean, and to be honest with commercials, I mean, pitches like way outnumber the actual syncs, like you hundreds of pitches for like one or two hits, you know, one or two syncs. Yeah. The numbers are so. Wow. Random. That's like, a, yeah, that's a lot. But I guess, yeah, it really, it really is a lot. You're up against so many people and there's so many processes and so many people that have sign off on these tracks. You know, there's not just, there's, there's the music production company, then there's the advertising, there's the, the advertising agency or the, uh, the production agency. And then there is the actual brand themselves. For example, like Morrison's, it would be me. Then it would be Soundtree, the, the music production company that I work with. Then it would be the, the director and the creative agency. And then after that, then it's Morrison's themselves. So it has to be signed off by everybody. It's a very arduous and long process to be signed off by everybody. But um, but like you mentioned, at least you get paid for the pitches. You get paid for the pitches, yeah. That's pretty and, good. and to be fair, with advertising, when you do get the sync, the sync is quite, it can be quite um, lucrative. So it's so although they're small numbers in terms of how many pitches you get, how many syncs you get, you know, it, it works out in your favor really and anyway it's good practice anyway to keep writing tracks i mean like, and they they do um and they really do challenge you with some weird ones you know i had one once where it was like can you do a 30 second can you, can you do a 30 second track can we have seven seconds set in the 70s the next seven seconds set in the 90s or the 80s in the 90s and now in 30 seconds without any break in the melody or anything like that and you're like okay fair enough am i going to do that <laughs> so you have to find solutions really quick and they're like oh we want it tomorrow night so yeah, it's like it's very uh, yeah, it's intense. Yeah, it's very intense. Yeah, I've done a number of uh, proposals to direct commercials, and I could tell you I do not get paid, <laughs> even if I spend all day making no a pitch video and storyboards and a presentation. And so I, I mean, I, I understand. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a it can be really unfair in the end. I mean, to be fair, if it's TV, like if if I pitch for TV, which I've done a lot of pitches for TV, then it's not paid. It's completely it's it's not paid. It's it's, it's strange how how that works, but for some reason. In, in in TV, they don't pay, but in, and, in the commercials, they don't. for commercials, do you have how, how does it work? Do you have an agent, or do do agencies or production companies just typically approach you, or you, you know the yeah, producers of these ads directly? Yeah, so I know the production companies, the people, the supervisors who look for composers. So they'll sort of like they'll they'll sort of divvy out the pitches to composers they think are they think are relevant to this certain project. So if they want yeah if they want something that's more grungy more sort of like a, i don't know more pop based more commercial they will go to a composer who does that sort of thing and if they want something more traditional more cinematic they'll come to someone like me um they'll divvy it out like that so yeah you'll just get i'll just get emails from people saying can you work on this pitch you know this week or the, over the next few days and i'll be like yeah and then we do that and that's it and then, so so it works it's all based on personal, personal relationships really and people who I, I know over the time and as and as time goes on 
more and more companies start working with me because I know someone that knows someone from that a previous company, if you know what I mean. So one company um, who I've worked with for a few years, that, that one of the runners went on to work as a supervisor for another company because he heard my tracks from the other company. He's come to me and said, do you want to start working for us as well? You know, it was all based on personal relationships, really. Sure. And the good thing is that at least each, each thing builds upon itself. So you probably built up a nice portfolio of a bunch of things that you've done already. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, it, it's kind of strange how I ended up because I didn't want to uh, end up in commercials originally. But, you know, it's, I quite like it because it's short, it's short form music. So you get to write something new every time with a long form. You're working on the same. You're working on effectively the same music for a month, month or two, a month or two. Um, so you're not starting anything new. So once you've got the first sound, once you've got your first your first idea or your first sound world, that's it. You're working with that. So you can't you're not creating anything new after that. So with commercials, obviously, because every commercial is something new, you're always writing a new tune. You're always writing a new melody, a new style, a new genre. Do you know what I mean? It's right, constantly right. kept on your toes. And I do like that. I do like that aspect for sure. I mean, and, the fact, and the fact that you get paid as well. Yeah, yeah, no, them. I'm sure the money course, is. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I was just having this conversation with a, a friend of mine who she's a first AD on a lot of indie films. And she just, she wants to completely move away from doing features, which she was like, I just want to do commercial work. And she was like, it's shorter time, really? you know, it's more money. And I'm like, I get it. I understand the rationale, but, but it sounds like you have a good mix of both. You, you work on commercials. And yeah. Then you also... Well, yeah. Yeah. At the moment it's, it's mainly commercials, but yeah I, yeah. I mean, I've got this short, I've got this feature film that I did this year. Um, and I'm hoping to sort of like increase into film and, and television. I've sort of been pitching for television as well. I'm just hoping one of these days, one of them will stick, you know, one, one of the pitches will get the thing about TV is that they want experience. They want, cause it's such that's intense as well, because you're doing, you know, an episode every week or so. So you've got to write a lot of music in a very short amount of time. Right. So they want experience, but without experience, it's, it's a tricky one, that one. Um, it would be nice to do TV yeah. and also I'm in London as well. So it's kind of beneficial this kind of one of the London's advantages, you know, I think TV and commercials, something London can compete, you know, with New York and, and, and Los Angeles. Yeah. That, that makes perfect sense. And for me with, with music for some, for some odd reason, I like when things aren't too on the nose. Like if it's not just, okay, well, you're watching law and order and it's a dramatic scene. And then they play that dramatic oh, see, music. Right. Like I like something. I think that's why it's a bit left field yeah yeah like when tarantino first came out and then reservoir dogs like he's slicing the guy's ear off but you're hearing stuck in the middle with yeah, you which is yeah, not yeah, yeah, yeah. the obvious choice of what somebody would hear with that scene i think that's why that hit like a ton of, of bricks course, yeah. yeah and he's got great taste as well i mean like the kill one as well it's, it's yeah, just a nerve it's fantastic that one yeah yeah brilliant yeah. choice yeah have you um have you seen if you, this is a weird one but have you ever seen the 2014 film Godzilla? No, I have not. Oh, it's, it's I have to I'll put it on my list. The film is no, to be fair like the film is sort of like it's not I don't want to like criticize but it's not a groundbreaking film you know, right. the script is it's all right. It's, it's entertaining, you know what I mean? But there's a scene in it. There's a scene in it where um they jump out of a plane and it, it's Gareth Edwards who's like a director which I think he's just brilliant in terms of like his cinematography he just he nails it um he just managed to capture a scene in a certain way but like there's one way they jump out of a plane and they're sort of like just doing a skydive and they use Ligeti's Requiem and it's always stuck out in my mind and it's absolutely brilliant it is just the frame of the of the scene the color of of it the um and the and that music Ligeti's Requiem which is a really weird eerie um sort of avant-garde classical piece and the, the whole film is not is scored by Alexandre Desplat so it's like it's actually properly scored um 
uh, Bespoke. But for some reason, they use this track for that scene. And I'll tell you what, it works absolutely brilliantly. It really is brilliant. And it's one of those things where it's just that it comes out of nowhere. You know, someone's just thought that creatively. Just gone, let's stick that on there. And it really does work. I got to watch it. But yeah. Uh-huh. But no, I hear what you say. And I, th- I think these are the ones that do stand out, the ones that are slightly left field, the ones that don't don't go on the nose. They're the ones that sort of go on to to last. You know, it's like the Ennio Morricone thing, like, you know, the, um, Good, the Bad and the Ugly. You know, right. it's, um, I mean, that is a legendary score, probably for that reason. You know, for for um, because it's not on the nose; it's completely different. That's right. So you you recently completed a Christmas campaign for the UK based supermarket brand Morrison's that you mentioned. Could you explain to the listeners the? I, I mean, you talked a little bit about the creative process that went into just your creative process, but how how was it like working on this particular score for this campaign? This one because it's because it's a Christmas ad. I suppose it's got a lot more, and the supermarket ads. I don't know with America or other other areas. I mean, in the UK, Christmas ads are quite a big thing. They're sort of like the, our Super Bowl ads. So there's a lot of pressure with them. And as a result, they were kind of very finicky over what they wanted. And it went through many different guys of what they wanted. They want they gave you sort of te- they gave you some sort of temp tracks, which are like basically other tracks um, of already written film music, which they stick on it and then say to do something similar to this or around that sort of that genre. And so it was kind of back and forth. They sort of said they wanted this a certain, they wanted it with a guitar at first. They wanted something modern. Again, like you said, not on the nose. But the thing is, though, with, with Christmas ads, it's always on the nose, right? It's right, right. Santa, it has to be somewhat Christmas. It's yeah. always got yeah. to be orchestra, you know. Yeah. So so anyway, they ended up going full circle. So we sort of did a few tracks. We did a uh, do several tracks. And then at midnight, and it was a weird one, they got a new brief through, and it was all supposed to be done by two days later or something to go to, because we was going to record with a full orchestra. So um, they decided they wanted to go back to the original brief, and we had nothing. So so it was midnight, and uh, I was tired. And I was like, yeah. and, and I was like, okay, fine. I was like, I'll do something for you quick. So we, I literally did, it was three hours, honestly. It was, I just literally did it so quick. And I find that this is a common thing that happens actually with ads. I, I always, I put, you can put hours and hours into a track and you just do something off the cuff, just two, five minutes or just really quick. You just try something and they'll go with it. You know, I just get hours and hours into other track and they'll go with this. So yeah, so it took, it, it was three hours and then they went with it. And then, so I worked with another composer called Evan Jolly. We both worked together on it. So in the end, it was sort of like two halves of it, two halves of each track. They liked his a, a part of his music and a part of mine so we sort of mixed them, them together yeah and they liked it and then we ended up we ended up changing a few of the melody changing the melody around slightly and it was very very quick and then we ended up recording it with uh in sections with some of the orchestra which is a really nice for a composer to record with orchestra with live musicians it was a 60 piece as well so wow it's quite, uh, that's incredible good. see that this is the thing about christmas ads as well they put the budget in more you know they've, they've got big budgets that they, they want to record with orchestras for christmas ads so it's quite a nice one to get you know um, yeah, and then it was all all done and dusted within like four or five days. Very quick. That's really cool. Um, yeah, yeah. It's 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 just it, and again, it's just it's just luck of the draw. Does your pitch match up to what the producers want? And were you there working closely with the orchestra? Yeah. So I, I wasn't conducting. So the other composer, Evan, was conducting because he sort of works with that company a lot as the as the orchestrator and conductor. But yeah, no, he was there. Yeah, I was there. Uh, yeah, we was just um, producing it um, in the in the studio. And then yeah, it went straight. It went out. That's amazing. Yeah, that's that's really. It is, cool. it is, it is, it's a it's a cool and plus also because it's something that everybody knows here because it's on all the time. The the, the Christmas ads. I was so just gonna say that that, say, that must be kind of cool if you're you know you just it just comes on TV and you're like hey I did the music for that you know. 
yeah yeah it's me <laughs> <Cha-ching, cha-ching. laughs> yeah um yeah no it's it is nice actually because uh, people know it as well because before you'd always I, I did a lot of ads for the states but back in back like a couple of years back and it was always ads for the states and so um people at home would never know you know you'd say i did ads for these companies and they'd be like oh I've never seen it. You like it works in in America, so you won't seen it. Yeah. But now, because it's a Christmas, it's on all the time. It's prime time as well, so it's it's quite it is quite nice to see it on TV. Yeah, no, that's um, pretty cool. But yeah, yeah, and then yeah, it's yeah, it works out. It worked out quite nice. So nice. And but also, I really like that sort of genre. I really like that sort of um, orchestral tunes. You know, strings, um, brass. I really like all that. And you, you, you rarely like, get to do that. Do you like uh, Bernard Herman? Yeah. Yeah. Or, he did yeah, a lot yeah. of stuff for Hitchcock. And then he did, well, uh, I, I mean, guess that, his last thing nerve, was uh, yeah, yeah. Taxi Driver with Martin Scorsese, mm. which was amazing. Yeah, and Psycho. I mean, the Psycho right. string suite, I mean, just absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So so unique and, and uh, I mean, yeah, legendary. What about John Williams? Are you a John Williams fan? Oh, yeah. Who, who isn't a fan of John Williams? It's, yeah. it's funny. I, I was... Uh, we was watching. I was watching the Harry Potter series recently. You know, was, I think I was ill or something, so we ended up just watching Harry Potter things like pretty much yeah. like every day or back to back. You know, and um, when you watch them and you watch them like as they progress, it just you sort of the first three written by John Williams, the rest written by other composers, Patrick Doyle, Nicholas Hooper, and Alexander Desplat. And I'm not, you know, the other films are really good as well, but I'm I'm sure even they would agree that the first three are just they just the music is so outstanding and you, and you sort of ask yourself well, why is that you know and i think to be honest it comes back to to the melodies i think the melodies are so strong with john williams they're just shaped perfect again they seem so natural but they're so unique at the same time that that it, and they're always going through the films always there's always a melody going through it you know and like my old tutor would say hold the line hold the line like you know hold, hold the, the melody all the way through it because i think these days people are more interested in textures I think did, is, did you have an instructor like the, have you ever seen the movie Whiplash? Was were you in that? Oh sort yeah, of no. To be fair, I, you know I haven't even seen it, but I need to. I need to. Watch you that have to watch that movie. Time. It's I incredible. Mean, I'm, I'm, I'm actually it, yeah. borderline shocked that you haven't seen it. I know. To be fair, I, I, so many people have told me to watch it. I just never got around to it. I will. I'm going to watch it. I'm gonna, Trust it's gonna me, it's one of the best films that has come out in the last ten years for sure. Okay, cool. Like All I right, recently revisited it, and I'm like, oh man, I forgot how good this movie was. Like I really liked it the first time watching it. But now, like watching it again more recently, I'm like, no, this is this is like one of the best films of all time, sort of good. Like I, I could see this really? making a lot of top 100 lists of you know film critics of you know okay, sort you, of thing. You, you, you persuaded me. I'm gonna have to. Watch yeah, it you again, have yeah. to watch it. <laughs> and I'm, yeah, okay, cool, right. and, and shoot me an email because I'm curious what you what all you right, think. Yeah, of yeah, it. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> <laughs> so, so could you share with us the creative process behind? doing some of the scoring for some of your other advertising work. And you talked a little bit about this, but you also did some work um, for Cadbury's, which by the way, um, I love the Cadbury cream eggs that, you know, I look forward oh, really? to those yeah. in Easter time. Yeah. Growing up, I used to eat those or the British Heart Foundation. So the British Heart Foundation is interesting one. Cause again, it was one of those, it was one of those um, pitches where I did a, a long piece like it was up was the temp track you know you know disney pixar's up oh okay cool. um that was the temp track so so we i ended up doing a you know a nice long track nice tune yeah put in a lot of effort and i thought it was really good and i really liked it and then on the on the last cup i just thought if i just try this and literally it's three chords just literally just dong 
I thought it worked. I thought it works quite nice. I thought I'll try it. You know, I thought a bit of a, felt a bit of a charlatan because when you when it's that easy, you do feel a bit of a charlatan. And they went for it. Nice. So uh, awesome. It's quite. It's quite. Um, it's quite an unusual. Again, it's it's like simplicity is key. You know, and it's like when you put all that effort into something, you're probably making it more complex unnecessarily. When really it's just simple. It's just a few chords. Yeah, like Jaws. Um, and, uh, like the jaws yeah. yeah yeah but the thing is though with jaws see everyone says this about jaws and it's like yeah, fair enough yeah dirt and dirt and yeah that <laughs> is very simple but but actually if you like that the whole jaws sound is it's, it's an, a symphonic work of just like epic proportions i mean like the next bit when it's like when the, when the woodwinds just like do like they soar up and like you've got all these amazing harmonies like it is a symphonic work of really complicated proportions jaws the yeah. first, obviously the first three notes is so like yeah it, it it's not the same thing yeah. but but yeah but the but the main nugget the main nugget is simple I guess, yeah the one people remember yeah whereas with this british art foundation it wasn't very symphonic you know it was just literally three chords on the piano but again they're not interested in the music either they're, they're only interested in what works for the brand and what works for the narrative of that sh- of that advert they want you to stay out of the way as much as possible with ads. So tunes, you know, people say, oh, you should write a good tune for that. It's like, well, no, because they don't want a tune on these adverts because a tune gets your attention and they don't want your attention because your, your attention is meant to be on the brand. Right. On, on the narrative of that commercial. Yeah. So if, if you've got tunes interwining, into, interwining with the narrative, I mean, you've only got 30 seconds with, it, with an ad or 60 seconds, depending on depending on how it's on the campaign. Um, They cram quite a lot into that 60 seconds or 30 seconds because they want to get as much information about that brand to you as possible. So if you're competing with that, they're not likely to go for the track. So your job is to stay out of the way, but to make it interesting enough as to be a standout a little bit, you know, it's just, it's a fine balance. It really is a knife edge. Yeah. Just, just two or three notes to make, to make a nugget or a motif, but you know, not a full blown, not a full-blown developed melody. It's, 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 it is a fine balance. I had a friend of mine saying that American shows are sort of overproduced. Like if you're watching a reality show over here, or if you're watching the show Shark Tank, like the, the music is like really sort of blaring in ways that it's not like that in England. You know, that where, is, is that true? I mean, that is very true. Yeah, yeah, that is very true. So Americans, so uh, when I work on stuff for America, so sometimes I do additional music for TV shows and stuff like that um we did one for christmas light fright or i think it's christmas light flight or something i don't know it's on nbc or abc or something um we and and the music there is just like it's brilliant because it's just like i get to write what i want to write you know i get to write brilliant like you know um get to write big orchestral soaring tunes you'd never never get to do that here here it's all it's all about um like subtlety maybe right it's all about subtlety it's all about it's being modern contemporary uh left field like you say not on the nose Whereas in, in, in states, you like big percussion, big, you know, cinematic trailer in music. You yeah. go for the, you go for the big stuff. Whereas yeah, here it's all electronic. Yeah. Just very small music. That's all I can describe it as yeah. small contemporary. Have you ever seen the Christopher, Christopher Nolan's first film following? No, I've not seen that. No, it's actually pretty good. And the soundtrack was kind of electric. I, I got okay, a chance to see out. it. He presented it a few years ago at the IFC Center. He was just there doing like a Q&A and presenting the film. And I had seen the film, what? but it was it was kind of cool watching in the movie theater. And then, you know, it made me, I was like, wow, I forgot how good the score was. Well, and the score is quite small, quite, quite. Um... Well, I'm sure, yeah, the whole, the they had a really small budget for the film. But, but actually the mm. score was kind of all encompassing. They had this electronic music that was sort of thumping, you know, that, okay. and he had like all sorts of, 
sound like um kind of uh sometimes when they'll almost like use like like a middle eastern sort of like vocal sort of thing you know like okay. like behind the electronic stuff and yeah it was really cool you can make a small sound sound massive you know and cinematic you know it, it's it's it can, it can be done with a small budget you know and it's as that's obviously the challenge with with um feature films and stuff these days because everything's or tv because it's all small budgets so you have to try and make it sound big i mean you seen the Last Kingdom? That's a great score as well, John. Done that one. Um, uh, yeah, a lot no, of electronic. I, you know. Wait. Oh, uh, the Last Kingdom. I'm trying to think here. It's Netflix. It's the one. No, set I in haven't. Anglo-Saxon times. I have not. Yeah, seen. it's quite good. It's quite good. I'll check uh, it but out. But yeah, the score is quite. Obviously, they wanted it cinematic. But obviously, with with, with um, these these films, the uh, these TV shows, they want low budget but cinematic sound. It's like Stranger Things. That's great as well. Stranger Things. I mean, I know it's old now, but like. But the, the, I mean that theme, just yeah. electronics is just brilliant. That is, that is really good. I started watching this. Yeah. Actually, it was a it's a British show on Netflix called Stay Close. Have you heard of that? No. It's actually really good. It's on Netflix. Yeah, I think it's pretty new. Oh, okay. And all right. Okay. Yeah, really good show. Nice. I'll check and it I thought, out. Yeah, I thought the 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 acting, the cinematography, the music, like everything is sort of spot on. So could you sh- could you share with uh, with composers who may be listening? What's your experience like? participating in a recent ASCAP workshop with Richard Bellis. And I guess for, for those that don't know what ASCAP is, kind of give an introduction to that. I know it's uh, it's the American Society of Composers, right? That's right, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's like a collection. I, f- I forget what the for, AP. For, um, yeah. Yeah, so it collects um, royalties and, and, and deals with the rights of composers in America. Uh, but they put on a workshop every year, pre-COVID anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Uh, so you'd go and uh, you sort of get mentored and you end up having to score a scene from a, a film. Um, and they're normally big films. So the ones we had was uh, Planet of the Apes, Cinderella. And you have to basically score a, a scene and then you'll get given a full orchestra. So you, you do everything from beginning to end you, and you get taught the process. And it's an insight for a composer into the top, like top upper echelons of, of film composing you know, with the stresses and the, t- the time constraints and, and, the, and the resources, because you're obviously given a full orchestra, so you have to orchestrate, and you're given an orchestration mentor as well. So it's, it's a pretty amazing experience. And, and you get to go to composers' um, studios and meet them. So we met Junkie XL and Benjamin Wolfish, and, yeah, we went to Hans Zimmer's studio. Nice. Went to Hans Zimmer's place. It was really cool. Hans Zimmer's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so we went to his place, Royal Control, um, and met, um, people who work there and yeah got an insight into it and my scene was planet of the apes so i had to record and, and um, i had to write and record planet of the apes yeah and the place i was staying didn't have didn't have aircon so that was difficult but <laughs> oh that is <laughs> it was in the yeah so i know oh god yeah where was did, it it yeah. was in la or yeah it was in la yeah so you have to yeah. go you go to la and um yeah. yeah and you go to the fox 20th century fox studios and record with orchestra and you conduct and everything it, it, it was an amazing experience it was it it was, it was very good. That's pretty cool. And then you get Richard Bellis is the one who gives you lectures. So we talk, we 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 get given lectures about how to compose and processes and and a lot of friends I know, like you know, a lot of LA friends now um, are from the ASCAP workshop. When I go out there, I stay with some of them and I still stay in touch with a lot of them. Yeah, it's really I, I read recommend it to composers because you get to meet a lot of people when you can make contacts and and. Uh, and the person I stayed with, actually, which has nothing to do with the ASCAP workshop, weirdly, where I stayed, I one of the guys in the other rooms was a sound editor. No no air conditioning in his room either? 
no air conditioning in his room either, no. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he would go out and just do... He, I, I didn't see him that much, obviously. We sort of made friends, but he was out all the time busy. And then recently, that's when I've got this feature film. He sort of recommended me for this. It was strange. Like oh. two years, three years later. Yeah, he sort of... So I mean, for the film Twisted that you recently for worked For the film on? Twisted, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. And let's let's talk about that a little bit. So I guess Twisted is a recent production that you completed the score, and the director's name is uh, Biblical Moesha. Great, and I knew I was going to butcher the name if I tried to say it. Uh, <laughs> She's Danish, Danish. Oh, okay, yeah. nice. Yeah, There's yeah. a lot of a lot of good films that come from Denmark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's produced by a Danish company as well, but it was filmed in America. Strangely. Oh, um, nice. It's kind of like it's sort of an American Danish. Yeah. Um, Have you ever seen the production. film Drive? Oh right, yeah, yeah. Um, oh god, have I seen that film? I can't remember. That's a good soundtrack too. Really yeah, wasn't good. it recently recomposed with songs from? Wasn't it recently recomposed? I swear there was something about it recently where it was where they did a new soundtrack with songs. Really? Because I think that I think right? they wrote songs for the film, but they were kind of like '80s style songs, and there's like a 1980s sort of sensibility. It's Cliff it really, Martinez, isn't it? Isn't it Cliff Martinez? I'm not sure, I but I know the director uh, was from Denmark, Nicholas Winding. Oh, really? Leffen. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. He's a great director. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, European films are, are are good as well, and they're they're always more. Um, again, they're more small, more subtle. Yes, than I think American films. It was like that. Even even the beginning of the film was sort of incredible because you're just hearing the practical sounds of. He's sort of a getaway driver in these kind of high stakes robberies or crimes and just that the way that they use the practical sound that weaved into the score was really like incredibly cinematic, but really unique actually at the same yeah, time because yeah. he's listening to a baseball game and then he sort of picks up like his cronies. They end up at the stadium, you know, and just sort of blend in like where like people are getting out of the game in, in the parking lot of the game. And that's kind of, like where the yeah, car chase to, ends. Check, yeah, you have to watch this right, film. Yeah. It's so good. This is another one. I've got, I've got a, I'm getting a list. I'm getting a list <laughs> yeah. here. So I'll, I'll tell you, yeah. you're educating me. I'm liking it. I'm liking it. Yeah, that's 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 a film that I could watch over and over again because it's just it's it's so incredibly cinematic and good. Yeah, yeah. I find that these films as well. I I, I don't know. This again was about the age thing. I find that the older I get as well, the more smaller the films I enjoy. You know, like when, yeah. when I was a kid, you, you love Transformers, you love Marvel. Like now, I, I don't like Marvel at all. I can't can't stand. Like, I know what you mean. Films. Yeah, because sometimes sometimes with 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 those big films and like Transformers and not not that I don't I don't like Michael Bay. I know some people have very strong opinions about Michael Bay, <laughs> but like I you know I I saw his film Pain and Gain. I I thought that was really good actually with Mark Wahlberg and it was sort of this comedic yeah, thing I based mean, off a true crime story. I think he does have a unique um, filming style, doesn't he, Michael Bay? Do you think no, he does for sure. But I kind of, I kind of like uh, some of his other movies that aren't like the the obvious choices. I think, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, Pain I and Gain. I, I loved Pain and Gain, and actually, I like Bad Boys too, the original that he did. I love the, uh, I love, I love the the product placement in Transformers. In Transformers oh, right. Four, oh my god, the product product placement is just brilliant. <laughs> it's just, it's just so obvious. It's just, it's just so right. funny. Yeah, there's That's like a right. bus that survives, and it's only he it says Victoria's Secret, spritting over the completely over the side of it, massive letters. Everything blows up in the scene except this bus. It's like you couldn't put it more in the center of the thing. The whole thing is just like basically Victoria's Secret. It's, it's all of a sudden an ad for Victoria's Secret. Yeah, well, up. I mean, it's brilliant, you know. But um, uh, yeah, no. So yeah, let's talk Twisted. How did you uh, collaborate with the director, and 
What, what was the film about, really? So it's a psychological thriller about mother and daughter. The mother is possessive of the daughter and protective, and the daughter, and it sort of follows the daughter's way of dealing with her mother's possessiveness and her sort of wondering whether she's got the same sort of possessive qualities as her mum, whether she's inherited some of the downsides of her mother's personality. And we don't know whether the mother is, you know, what the mother's doing um, when there's other sort of plots going on. Um, yeah, but the psychological thriller, like I said, so the book gave me sort of like quite free reign with writing the music on this one. Obviously, my, th- my thing again was trying to be unique but at the same time, not give away too much, not be too, not be too forward. Because it's, it's a psychological drama, it's quite a quiet film, quite a, not slow, but again, subtle. So obviously a score that would be too up the front would be too much. So yeah, we took right pains to sort of keep it low. But yeah, I sort of use, I sort of, we sort of use these drones and things like that. And I used a choir to sort of signify Sylvia, which is the mum. And then sort of like, it's like a siren. I use the choir to sort of make a siren. So I sort of chopped it up and it sort of like does this. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, and we sort of like we just tried a lot of different variations of, of of these sort of weird sounds, and I've sent them back and forth. And normally, with my sort of what I do is I sort of go too much first, so I sort of do over the top completely at the beginning, and then um, strip it back. So right. sort of, it's it's be- I have a lot of I sort of a person of a lot of ideas, too many ideas, and then, but it's better to have too many ideas and strip back than it is. To have not enough ideas to begin with, yeah, and try to, to layer it in. So you find that it's easier. Like there might be a lot of instruments, for example, on the song, and then you're kind of like paring it down. Or yeah, I think you know when it's too much, right? It it becomes so loud and so big and so in your face that you know that there's too much going on. Yeah, but but it's easier to subtract than add. So right, right. Um, and obviously, when you sort of like get started in a project, you sort of get excited about it, and you sort of like throw. You think, oh yeah, let's make it huge type thing. So you sort of do put a lot into it. And then um, we were doing that with yeah. the trouble, like because I had the stems from the composer that like sometimes we were really like going very basic on the track for like one part of the scene. And then it would kind of go into the full sort of orchestral track with with all the in, all the instruments, for example. You know, and I think yeah, that, you, that could be you find cool. that was too much or did you? No, I liked it. I really I really enjoyed I just enjoyed that process of really kind of uh working closely with with the sound designer to sort of you know the the guys that made the score you know the the composers they did such an amazing job but i kind of i just really enjoyed that process of kind of pairing it with the film and just yeah yeah you know using certain seat like using the song in certain sequences where it might just go down to the percussion and then the guitar and then it's like you know everything else, like then the bass or whatever else. Yeah. I mean, what, what, when you put it against the film, it does, it does elevate everything so much. Right? It's, if you listen to the tracks on their own, you know, cause it's a psychological thriller. It's not, you know, on the, on you probably not going to listen to the soundtrack, but twisted on its own, you know, um, it's quite, you know, it's quite a soundy film. So, um, but, but when you put it against the film, well, I hope so anyway, that it, that it works, it works well. Well, I'm, I'm excited to watch it. Yeah, I think it's out in it's out in autumn, I think, or in fall, as you guys say. Okay, cool. Uh, this year, nice. Yeah, yeah. And and how about you? How how could people follow along with what you're doing? Are you on social media? Do you have a website? Um, yeah, I have a website. Yep, yeah, you can find me on mitchelltown.com, or uh, you follow me on Twitter. I think I'm on. I think my Twitter handles on my website and on Instagram as well. I need to get back into Twitter a bit more. I'll tell you, I'm, I've been. I'm not very good at social media. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not much of a a tweeter on Twitter. No, neither am I. No, it's it's. Uh, I need to get back into it. Really, it's good. It's good for 
business, but um, yeah, yeah. And people look at it nowadays like it's your newsletter. It used to be, yeah, exactly. It yeah, used yeah. to be. I feel like people would not mention if they looked you up on social media. Now I feel like, especially with the younger generation, they're like, oh yeah, I saw the, you know, on your Instagram, you're doing that. They just treat it like it's like your your newsletter. You know, so and yeah, which, like which is fine. Cards, like yeah, your, there's your, nothing. Uh, your business card. I don't have. I don't have an issue with with people saying that when I meet them. But but I I do notice that years ago people would sort of stalk you on social media, see like what you're doing, but not necessarily mention it. Now it's just kind of like oh, like I see you're doing this, this, and this, and you know, I checked you out on social media. You know. Yeah, yeah. I find I find yeah. Sometimes it can sort of like add pressure being on social media. You know, it's like you sort of judging yourself against everything all, all the time. So I sort of tend to not, not really. I know. It's bad, I know. really. I should, should be on it more, but. Um, I'm, I'm not the best at social media myself that, you know, that's something I'm trying to be better at, you know, because I'm not one of these yeah, people that yeah. I live in public. Like there's certain people that they, they literally put everything that they do on social media, like almost every meal that they eat, you know? Yeah. And every yeah. thought that and they I have. Saw, I, and I'm certainly yeah, not I, one of those kinds of people. You sort of feel a bit, uh, what's the word? Not embarrassed, but like a bit, oh, like, you know, do I post this? You know, it's a bit like, oh, it's a, it's a strange. It's a, I know what you mean. Yeah, job. but it's a strange thing because it's like, on one hand, you want to highlight your work, but on another hand, you don't want to just come across like you're bragging about everything, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sipping champagne on the French Riviera, you know, type <laughs> thing with a, with a picture of the sunset in the background. That's no, right. But even, even like for work stuff, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, for, yeah um, I mean, it is useful, isn't it? I mean, it's, like, yeah. it's so useful. Yeah. I find LinkedIn has become a useful thing as well these days. Yeah, I've been using LinkedIn as well a little bit more lately. Yeah, which I never used to yeah. use that. You know. Yeah, I think it's it's becoming more more of a thing at LinkedIn. Well, yeah. Mi Mitchell, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. I enjoyed our conversation and look forward to checking out your work. Yeah, thanks for having us. And I'll check out those films. Nice, thank you. <laughs>